Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. Our guest today is Oliver Bonnet. Oliver is currently CTO of BlaBlaCar in Paris, but got his start at Apple after spending the first 12 years of his tech career there in the US, soaking up some of the world's best engineering secrets before moving back to France and into his current role. Not only does he share with us what it's like to work in high-performance tech environments in both the US and Europe, but also walks us through a lot of the tactical day-to-day differences between large companies like Apple compared to high-growth scale-ups like BlaBlaCar. Oliver also offers clear and actionable tips on how he has led his 240-person engineering team through 2020, including how explicit you need to be on teamwork and collaboration in such a fast-changing world. His personal leadership style is an inspiration to me personally and is a great example of a classic principle, lead by example, and he gives really actionable advice on how to actually walk the talk. So we're excited to jump in and share it with you. Cool. So glad to have you here, Oliver, today. Welcome once again. Thank you. And I'll just jump right in. I was so excited about this conversation because I saw many things that you've been sharing with the community of tech leaders lately, and I really, really enjoyed your kind of view on things. And uh, when I reached out, I was really excited that you that you agreed to, to speak to us. And I was actually curious, before we kind of jump right into the meat, I've seen that you studied computer science, but I couldn't really find an engineering job on your CV, actually. Um, I see that you have been managing engineers at Apple and, of course, now leading the tech crew at BlaBlaCar. Did you actually start your career as an engineer? No, no, no. I did start. My first job was absolutely an engineering role, software developer at Apple. But yeah, no, I didn't jump in as an engineering manager right in. I'm, I'm not even sure how anyone would do that. It feels to me that kind of like engaging with the actual work first before uh, leading people doing the work is, uh, is is really an important step. And and actually, and maybe we'll dive in deeper on that, but that's that's what I advise people to do if, if they want to, to engage on a longer term entering leadership role, understanding what kind of problems your teams are struggling with on a daily basis, I think is absolutely key to help them. Uh, Awesome. This is super interesting. Why would you say is this important? And what would be approximately like a good time frame when someone's thinking about their kind of final destination being management and tech leadership in particular? What would you advise would be a good time frame to switch after being IC to management? A couple of years, two, four, six. Uh, I, I don't think there's an upper limit. Like if if you had a great time as a senior individual contributor, I think that's 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 great and and certainly like, well, I, I guess the main advice I give people is like, don't feel that you have to become a manager. And if if you have this tension of like, oh, I don't want to, but it, this feels like the only way to grow. I think there's a bigger problem that's not just with you, but maybe how like the decisions are made or how the responsibilities are 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 split in the group of people you're working with. So I think it's it's more a, when you think you're ready, you're ready, and and then let's go. But I would typically advise people to to give it a real shot uh, at a, like individual contributor role and and also like touching what they can bring as individuals to a larger um, group uh, in terms of impact, influence, which does not require a management role. Uh, I often see people wanting to jump directly to a manager role because they feel they'll have more impact. And I'm not sure that's true, or I don't think it, sh- it, it is necessarily true. 
So I think it's always interesting to challenge people wanting to become a manager of like, okay, what kind of impact do you want to have? And are you 100% sure that you can't have this type of impact in your current role as an IC, as an individual contributor? And often like they'll realize that they're making a shortcut and that there's uh, there, there's more to it uh, on, on the IC side and that jumping to a management role doesn't it is not the only way to have more impact is not the only way to have influence over uh, a team or over a, a broader group of uh, people working on the same product and oliver you decided to join blah blah car coming from apple as you said and uh what convinced you to go from you know big enterprise life or corporate life i guess to uh scale up life I'm not sure I can answer that because I don't think at the time I knew exactly what I was signing up for. I think the uh, the dynamic back then was that Apple had been my first job ever. I had been at Apple for 13 years and uh, I had moved from France to the US. Uh, I, I spent seven years uh, in the small R&D office that Apple has in Paris and then uh, I relocated to Cupertino, the, the Apple's headquarter in California, and I spent five years there. I was getting to a point where it's like, hmm, this is my first job, and I've already been 13 years uh, uh, in in that company. I had many jobs, obviously, at Apple. Uh, 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 Daria mentioned I, I started as an engineer, and and I had a number of roles. Um, so it was never like it, it was certainly not the same job for 13 years, but still it was like one single company and a pretty, I would say, like special one at that. And so I was like, I wasn't sure what was life out there for uh, entering managers and what kind of opportunities I could have outside of Apple. And to some extent, I was a bit worried of like, OK, after 25 years at Apple, will people still want to hire me or what would I still want to try out something new? So I wanted to, to get out of my comfort zone and try something completely different. Uh, and so when black car reached out because they were looking for, uh, for, for, for the, the role I currently have, um, it, it sounded like a, a good opportunity to 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 kick myself out of my comfort zone and try something completely different. And one thing I was very interested in, and and which turned out to be uh, to be happening, was like at Apple, I was one engineer among like thousands and thousands of engineers, and I was interested in seeing a more global picture of like, okay, how does a scale up that has put software at at its core, how does it operate as a whole? How does the engineering department interact with finance, people, product, design, extra, uh, which I was only seeing a very small part of at Apple as, uh, as again, as one engineer among thousands. This is quite like a change, even though, of course, BlaBlaCar isn't like a small startup and it wasn't at the time, I think, when you, when you joined them. But I, I'm super curious what you've, find to be different actually like what are the biggest differences in terms of working for apple and working with blabacar and also would you consider this experiment successful actually you mentioned that you kind of wanted to try out something different so how is your bottom line so far bottom line is is great uh, it's been four years so obviously it would if, if if i had any regrets ex-colleagues and friends at apple are are pinging me on a regular basis of like hey are you coming back and i'm like no, at this point, I, I don't think I am. Uh, but thanks for asking. So no, I, I think the experiment has been has been really interesting. Part of that, in and maybe like uh, uh, maybe one difference is I wouldn't be here today chatting with with you, Daria and Anthony, if I was at Apple because Apple is 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 uh, famously secretive about how they do things and and they don't encourage that kind of discussion. And so I've enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, I, I, I do mentoring, I do coaching. I like to, to chat with other CTOs. And one thing I've realized is that most engineering leaders face very similar problems. The solutions are not always the same, but the problems are very similar. And it's always super interesting to, uh, chat with other people that might have uh, faced or are facing the, the the same problems as you are and and discuss what's like insights or or solutions are being tried 
so I think for for one that's that's something I really enjoy and I'm I'm trying to do uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, you asked about like what was the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think the biggest difference um, is in how software is released uh, between like those 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 different kind of companies and and what does it mean in terms of how you build software. Uh, so. Typically at Apple, I was part of the operating system teams, uh, which so the teams that build the uh, the Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS, extra, uh, and I was contributing uh, code that was running on pretty much all operating systems that Apple was shipping, including the watch, including uh, Apple TV, extra, and Apple typically ships like maybe four times a year, like uh, uh, four releases per per OS that do have new features. The rest of the time, it's really like just bug fix, security updates, extra. And so if you are, like, you are going to be working pretty much like for six or even sometimes nine to 12 months on a new feature that's, that's not going to ship anytime soon, which is very different from um, like at Black R, like all the backend teams are releasing multiple times a day. Um, we uh, we upload uh, new iOS and Android apps to the stores like every week, extra, extra. So I think the, the rhythm is completely different. And so what does it mean to, uh, for instance, uh, not make the deadline or, 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 or change the timeline that you had set for yourself? Like, at Black Car, it's I, I'm it's it's kind of a no-brainer of like okay, if we need one more week to make sure this feature is ready for users, um, like in ninety-nine percent of the cases, it's a no-brainer. Um, at Apple, like no, this would trigger a question of like okay, well maybe we should not try to release this new feature like this year because it's uh, it's too risky and we'd rather um, uh, give it more time to bake because it will it will uh, we're taking a lot of risk if we're uh, trying to ship features that are not ready so it it completely changes how you're thinking about quality how you're thinking about like a b tests you can't really do a b tests if you're uh if you're uh, shipping four times a year uh extra extra like it 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 takes a lot like it changes the rhythm of release and thus how you think about uh, uh, pushing uh, your product to your users. It is kind of like you would expect it, I think. We all know Apple, of course, for uh, like amazing user experience and high quality, but also, of course, for you know the long wait for things to happen. So <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I'm really glad you can talk to us uh, today. So I agree. It probably was a good move. And I think uh, probably a lot of engineers and team members at BlaBlaCar will agree as well. And on that note, actually, I was kind of um, researching what you've been up to recently, and I found the Medium post um, on Bubble Car's uh, Medium um, publication, and you wrote about the challenges you encountered kind of leading the team through the pandemic. Could you share a little bit of those lessons learned with us? Like, what have you experienced that was difficult? What have you been able to implement to work around? Yeah, just share a bit of your journey from 2020 and 2021 so far. Yes, the, the the past eighteen months have been kind of crazy for everyone, I guess. So, couple maybe couple of highlights or and or lowlights on on our side. I think so. We actually closed our offices kind of like before all of Europe suddenly uh, uh, locked down, and so it felt like we were not like reactive and 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 we're ready for this. I had been pushing for more. Uh, I would say more written culture and like how you prepare a meeting, how you share, like how you write documentation, how you share your thoughts with uh, uh, with the rest of the team extra. And so it obviously was super useful. And, and we doubled down on this of like, okay, uh, so for instance, at Black R, we have one of our internal principle is dream, decide, deliver. And one thing that I really enjoy and I think is super powerful is when we have a meeting, like the, the agenda items that we want to cover in the meeting are clearly labeled like dream, decide, or deliver. Dream, it's like, it's going to be a brainstorm and it's like, okay, let's let's collect all the ideas of the room. Uh, we're not going to make decisions today. It's just about like uh, uh, creativity. Uh, decide is about like focus, is about making the decision. And so if we have a decide agenda item in the meeting, 
um, then that means someone has prepared that decision uh, and and we need like everyone in the room need to be clear about like what is the decision that needs to be made today what are the alternatives uh, what's maybe the recommendation of the person that's uh, taking the decision to group extra uh, and deliver is more of like the um, like status update progress report extra um, and 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 one thing we realized is we are labeling those very explicitly because the the worst meeting are when someone thinks they're in a decide meeting, but someone else is in a dream meeting. And so like they can't really agree on, on, on what they're trying to achieve in the meeting. So making sure we're, we're, we're very disciplined and, and very clear about like what is it that we're going to be doing in this meeting uh, makes, it, uh, make, makes meeting more efficient overall. Uh, I think we've, we've all experienced like Zoom fatigue uh, in, in the past two years. Uh, and so I think it's super important that if we're going to have a meeting, if we're going to have a sync synchronous uh, meeting where everyone needs to be together at the same time in front of their computer, uh, it needs to be well prepared and, and, and no one should feel that, that it's a waste of their time. And so that's, that's one thing that we've really doubled down uh, in, in the past two years. Maybe a different, uh, on a different dimension, we decided very early on that um, after looking at what was happening, uh, we asked ourselves, like, hey, is this changing fundamentally our roadmap? Is this changing our vision for uh, how people will travel with black car? Um, and we decided that it didn't. We decided that, um, like, because we don't do business travel, uh, like, it's, it's mostly leisure and, uh, and, and tourist trips. Uh, it's a pretty young uh, passenger audience extra. Um, we decided to stay focused on our long-term vision and to kind of like double down on it and accelerate and use the uh, kind of downtime because like very few people or, or no one could really travel um, uh, last year between like March and May, June. Uh, and again, over this uh, the past winter, uh, this was actually a good time to, to accelerate on some of the uh, uh like long-term migrations that we had started so for instance we migrated from on-prem servers to a cloud provider in uh in may last year it was actually a great time for us to do that as an engineering team because we had a lot less traffic than usual uh at that time of year and so it made the migration much easier um so I, I like to always look at the silver lining and and try to make the best of, uh, of of whatever is being thrown at you. And I think that was a good example of uh, us being able to not just uh, stick to our plan, but actually accelerate accelerate on it and and uh, and um, and double down on uh, on on some of the long term uh, migration, long term efforts that we had been working on already. This is really cool to hear because I think, of course, we've been all watching the travel industry kind of, you know, um, responses to the changes in consumer behavior, in particular, like temporary changes, of course. And it was really interesting to see how different players reacted, like Airbnb kind of pivoting the offering to a degree. And nice to see that there's also companies that are kind of saying, no, stakes in the ground, our bet is that people will travel again, and even maybe more so than before, and we don't have a reason to kind of um, change it all together. So thank you so much for sharing this. I actually have a follow-up question on the first example you gave. How many engineers do you currently actually kind of have in the in the total organization? Uh, so right now, uh, Black Car Engineering Team is around like 230, 240 engineers. That's quite a crew, of course. And I was actually curious, I was assuming it's a couple of hundred, and I was curious how you can quickly establish or change norms around meetings, for instance, or how much intention goes into the preparation. Um, how did you actually manage to kind of implement this substantially or like quickly and with, yeah, with rigor? One thing I, I, I often say to my team is there's no substitute for hard work. I think that's very much true here uh, as, as well. I think it's, it's, it's a more global, like, what's the culture? What's the mindset of the team? But I think if there's one thing that I would point out, I think it's like leading by example. And so I think all the managers, starting with me, need to be setting the the right example, need to be leading by example and 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 showing the norm and 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 pointing out when we see something that's kind of like deviating from the norm and doesn't have to be like, oh my god, this is terrible, but it's just like, hey, can you please 
uh, reformulate the agenda item? Or can you clarify whether like this this topic that you want to discuss in the meeting is a, is a dream, decide, or deliver topic? Um, I think that's enough. Like it sends a very explicit message. Like, yeah, this is this is how we're operating, and this those are my expectations uh, going forward. I also find that really really cool, Oliver. I, I think internally here at Bunch Two, we we try our best to differentiate between, I guess, what we call our like generative generative discussions, and then there's sort of decision making meetings. That mental model sort of changed the game for me. But but real quick, just sort of a, a follow up as well. You're saying that there it um, at that scale too. If there is a meeting and you show up, it's not clear whether it's dream, decide, or deliver. What do you do? Do you not have the meeting or do you just sort of quickly regroup or what's like the follow-up norm? The norm we try to establish is that the meeting, uh, the agenda for the meeting is sent in advance, like typically a day in advance, as with the content, which could be either slides or uh, like a document to read. And if that's been sent in advance, then the the expectation is that everyone, when they arrive in the meeting, have looked at the slides or the document, might have started like commenting or asking questions, clarifying questions in the document extra. If it's not obvious, like because sometimes it's like, hey, we're meeting to make this decision, even if the agenda item was not labeled decide, like it's pretty obvious that there's a decision to be made. Uh, I, uh, I, so if it's not obvious, I try to clarify like, okay, are we trying to get out of the room with a clear decision today? Or is this about exploring our options? Uh, but, but try to make sure that everyone has the same expectation in terms of like, I, I think that's the key thing. And, and not just with meetings, but uh, uh, more generally is like making sure that the group has the right expectation. It's a shared expectation, I think, is the most important thing you can do uh, as a leader. If you feel that there's a risk, that that's not the case, like just articulating what you're saying and saying like, hey, I'm seeing that Daria is behaving as if this was, uh, we were about to make this decision, but I'm hearing uh, other people in the room trying to brainstorm or trying to come up with new alternatives, which we probably shouldn't be doing in the same meeting. Like just pointing out what you're seeing and making explicit that you feel that there is not a shared uh, understanding or, or a common uh, expectation, I think is super helpful uh, when you see a group kind of like go sideways or, or a meeting go, uh, uh, go sideways. No, I couldn't agree more, of course. And that's, I think, a huge, I mean, just in general, a huge topic. Things have, so, things have changed so much since in the last 18 months, as you said. And, and um, so another sort of a, a two-part question, have you seen these norms get challenged over the last 18 months? Like, have they, have they become, has it been harder to lead remote? This is obviously a huge topic for us here at Bunch with our community. So have like, what's that been like? you know, making that switch to remote a question that's important for a lot of folks too, is also how do you keep people connected to sort of, how do you keep people aligned, but connected to something bigger when you're remote, when you're operating such a, such a large remote organization? Yeah, I think we're, we're all learning and, uh, and, and I don't think black car is, is perfect. And there are plenty of things where I wish we, we would go faster or we'd be better at, uh, at this, but I can share some of my learnings. I think the people I'm most worried about are the people that we've onboarded in the past 18 months, because to some extent, they never really had a chance to see any other culture or to create the connection with the, the rest of their teams or the, the rest of the company. We do have a pretty strong culture, but it, it was around like uh, Thursday evening, get to get our HQ. It was around like uh, yearly uh, trips all together in, uh, in a specific part of the world and, and regrouping all of the uh, 700 engineer, sorry, not engineers, all of the 700 employees in uh, somewhere for a, like a long weekend or a couple of days extra. And obviously, we haven't been able to do any of that in the past uh, two years. And so I think my, my question today is like, and I see that some of the rituals are helping, but also I, it's pretty obvious when people are able to get together and, and connect more, more directly that uh, that it accelerates some of the uh, uh, connections, some of that, uh, that onboarding. Um, so I'm, I'm super careful because I think that my own personal experience is, which has been pretty positive, like having been at Black Car for like more than two years before the pandemic started uh, and managing pretty senior engineering leaders is obviously like very different from 
have the experience of an engineering manager that maybe is onboarding one or multiple junior engineers uh, out like fresh out of uh, uh, freshly graduated whose black car is their first uh, um, experience uh, professional experience uh, it's it, it's it's obviously a very different thing and so we tried to adapt for like those different profiles and for instance one thing we did pretty early on is try to reopen our offices not to have people come back to it in uh, in any mandatory fashion, but as a place that people could go to if they didn't have good working condition at home, uh, whether it's like I have poor internet or I have a baby at home or I don't really have a, a my apartment is so small that uh, I really can't stay like all day all day long in uh, in the same place and I wanna I wanna see people I wanna extra and so we we've reopened our offices as co working place and that's been working pretty well for a small portion of our uh, employees that really needed to have a different place to work and better working conditions and maybe the second thing I'm noticing and and one thing that I think going forward we'll try to keep is if you're only coming to the office a couple of days per month then I think those days in the office like need to be special like you're not you shouldn't be spending those days in the same meetings and the same video meetings that uh, uh, you uh, you have the rest of the day and so the question is like okay what do you how do you invest that time together physically in uh, in the best possible way is it to do team building activities which like team building in the in the broader sense like not just games and and getting together and having fun though that's certainly part of it but more generally, like maybe that's the opportunity to have like uh, shared trainings together. This is the opportunity to uh, kind of like do uh, long-term thinking, uh, discuss the long-term strategy, do brainstorms, extra. Some of the things are maybe harder to do when uh, uh, not everyone is in the same uh, place physically. Um, so yeah, I think there's 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 plenty of things that we still need to learn and experiment with. But I think it's uh, and and for all of those, like I think what's important is to be self aware. So like being on the lookout of like, okay, this seems to be working well. Can we expand on that? Or hey, we tried this. This didn't really work out in the way we we're hoping for. Why is that? We should should we tweak it should we just stop doing this extra but like be very pretty much all the time like observe what's happening and and trying to to adjust because again like this is brand new for all of us or for most of us and so i think we're we're, we're obviously still learning uh so you want to accelerate the learnings and 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 not just do the same mistakes over and over i i often tell my teams like it's totally okay to make a mistake what's the problem is like, and then let's make sure we we learn about the 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 about what happened and and don't make the same mistake over and over again. Uh, so I think that's that's certainly true here for uh, how we adapt to um, remote work or hybrid work or uh, extra. There's a lot to unpack. Thank you so much for walking us through kind of the recent learnings and developments. Maybe my first follow-up question would be. You mentioned you like learning is really important, and of course, right now with new environments and kind of many more decisions to be made, how do you actually measure that feedback? So um, our audience is always super interested in very tactical advice and kind of really try to understand how do I actually how can I implement that in my team, etc. So do you use particular tools? Do you have kind of like that part of normal retrospectives? How do you keep tabs on? what of these experiments culturally actually is landing well and what do you need to adjust? Yeah, I don't think there's one, just one tool that you can use for that. So it's a, it's a mix of different tools. We do, uh, we do retrospectives in the teams, uh, either regularly on like, okay, here's uh, in the past few weeks, here's what's been working well, here's what's not working so well, what could we try extra? Uh, we do some on specific topics of like, hey, we've had these meetings for the past uh, like a couple of months. Um, can we sit down and and check whether it's still meeting our expectations or if we need to stop it or change it? One one tool that I kind of like, at least for companies like uh, of car side size is um so we use a tool that's called super mood but essentially that's measuring employee nps so net promoter score uh every month 
And again, like in this is a very quick, like once a month, all the employees get a, hey, how do you feel? And would you recommend Blackar as a place to work? What's interesting there is really just the trends and seeing how like maybe some teams evolve over time or sometimes like people can add like free uh, comments of like, hey, this was great in the past couple of months or hey, I this this sucks and I'm, I'm, I'm not being so happy about this. Uh, but overall, like, what's interesting is to look at the the, the overall picture, especially in um, cases like the past couple of uh, the past two years where there was a lot of external changes. And so seeing how different teams reacted and maybe what teams we need to to help more proactively of like, hey, this team seems to be in a bad shape or maybe there's something else happening. Let's dig into this. I think it's super helpful for someone that's managing like a team of like 50 plus uh, people to have that that view of like that helicopter view of like, hey, this is what's happening in my teams. It it does not replace any other tool of like listening to what's happening, listening, like looking at what's happening, what kind of interactions people have on Slack, looking at like retrospective results, extra, but gives you like over time, it gives you like long-term trends of like, hey, things are are good and going better or things are at a really high level and flat and that's fine or hey there was the sudden deep at this uh, month and uh, we haven't really covered from that what happened then extra so being able to kind of like uh, uh, observe what's happening really at the 10,000 foot view and uh, and uh, and and make sure you act on that um, I think that's that's been useful but again like in as a complement to a lot of other tools and a lot of like other ways to to listen to what what's happening in the teams, not as a not as the only uh, uh, not as the only tools, certainly not. That makes total sense. Um, you mentioned also that you are actually opening kind of the offices up again and you are allowing people to return slowly. We have lots of discussions in the community and many, many people actually coming forward with questions around it. I think there is um, a lot of debate in the media as well, like who actually makes these decisions? Um, what principles do we go by? So is it like everyone chooses their own perfect like work setup? How do companies incorporate kind of the business needs next to the employees' needs? I would really love to understand how this process is kind of um, driven at Blah Blacker. Like how do you make decisions around which type of hybrid models you um, deploy and more importantly also coming from a fellow product development peer um, of course the focus time for engineers is really really crucial i think we all always try to create environments that allow people to be at their best and bring their best selves to work um, so i would really love to um, hear a little bit more about kind of the conversations you had but also how you make decisions around balancing the needs for individual kind of uh, preferences in work environments and then what the business needs in terms of um, work models for the future, if that makes sense. It's, it's a tough one because, again, like I don't think there's a magic recipe or a silver bullet there. Uh, and at this point, I certainly uh, put myself in the still learning uh, category of, uh, I, I think there's plenty of things that we still uh, need to understand and learn. Um, but I can tell you what we're doing at, at BlaBlaCar. We had like all the entering uh, positions were opened as available with a remote position. So that was not new, but certainly like the there was an acceleration uh, since many people like for the past 18 months were uh, worked remotely and realized that it was actually working well for them. Uh, we're certainly seeing more uh, more people wanting to uh, to be in a in a in a full remote setup. To my opinion, there is like actually I think it's much easier to be full remote and have don't not have an office at all than than trying the hybrid model where like you have forty percent of your workforce uh, in the office, sixty remote or 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 sixty forty. Like that's probably the most difficult uh, setup to make work uh, smoothly, which doesn't mean that uh, uh, we're not going to try it. But I think there's, there's there are certainly very specific challenges with the hybrid model. Um, so one thing we're doing at Black Car, which I think is is more generally applicable, is like is we said that we would take like uh, uh, three to six months to just experiment and learn. 
And so starting September, which is when we hope we'll be able to uh, to have more people uh, come to the office on a more regular basis. Uh, I mentioned up until now and, and certainly over summer, it will be more in the like, hey, come as you uh, as you want and as often as you need to. And, and starting September, we want to take the the probably the end of the year and maybe uh, uh, beginning of 2022 to kind of like experiment and observe what's happening. How do we uh, maybe try a number of uh, different ways to organize hybrid meetings extra, but essentially like give ourselves the space to experiment and be clear that, hey, we're still learning. So it invites feedback from everyone. It invites new ideas. Um, and if there's something that people like, like we'll, we'll hear about it. And, and, and obviously it, it, it helps give us a bit more room to, to try things out in the next couple of uh, uh, months. Uh, and not, tr- I, I, again, like, I think this is what it looks like when an organization puts itself in a learning mode. It's like, okay, we'll learn, we'll experiment and learn there because this is new for us as an organization. So we're j- we just need to try it out and, and see how it goes. Um, and, Pending uh, those learnings, like we'll 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 try to find the right balance between uh, okay when uh, when the people that are working remotely come to the office, what happens is that everyone at the same time is that uh, or is that per team is that uh, per organization? Like for instance, do I uh, want or do I need all the engineering all the engineers uh, in the office like a couple of days per month? I don't think I do, but maybe trying that out and see how it how it uh, scales and whether that works uh, might be useful extra. So I think there are many dimensions there of like, okay, when do people come to the office? What do they do when they come to the office? Uh, how do we organize like the different types of meeting, whether it's like the daily stand-ups to the all-hands meetings with, uh, with the, the entire company extra? which one of those meetings uh, changed completely, which one of those maybe we need to invent something completely new, uh, which one already worked well today and there's no need to try and reinvent the wheel extra. Like I think there's uh, there's plenty of learnings there. And, uh, and so that's what we'll be doing uh, uh, starting September. I think it's very, very impressive, the, the level of detail and the thoughtfulness, Oliver. Really, really cool. I'd love to I'd love to zoom into you here now that we're sort of getting closer to the end. We've been such so big and so grand with the whole company and all the big teams. I'd love to zoom into you and ask you about your leadership principles. What do you what do you lead by? What uh, what drives you? What uh, what you know, what do you teach your teams? You've already shared a couple things with us, actually. So the top one I think I shared was like lead by example. Uh, I think on that one, I'm, I, I can't really imagine like being a good leader without leading by example, like saying something and doing it the other way around. I, I don't think that that works. Like that doesn't really compute for me. Uh, I think that's one. Um, the second one, which I'm always super clear on with my teams is teamwork and collaboration. I'm super explicit when I see people like starting to kind of like uh, point at each other or trying to uh, uh, not not be the best team player. I'm like, no, no, no. Like we have like we have plenty of challenges. We have uh, plenty of competition. Uh, let's make sure we point our energy uh, in the right directions together um, and not spend any time or any energy like fighting uh, between teams. Um, I, I've I've always work in uh, growing uh, companies in, in growing environments where essentially like if you were doing a good job uh, on a day-to-day basis like opportunities would appear and so I think there's zero excuse for someone uh, like withholding information or or trying to manipulate or extra so I, I, I have zero tolerance for that um, and that's something that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I have a very strong opinion on uh, there are actually few things I have a very strong opinion on, but I think that that's one of them. Uh, so I, I think those two are certainly in turn like leadership are uh, are, are something that uh, I care a lot about. Maybe on more on the engineering side, I think one thing I learned at Apple is attention to detail. There was this culture of like, or there there probably still is like it's just I'm not I'm not at Apple to to see it, but uh, there is this culture at Apple of like. Um, 
trying your own product, which I think is amazing when you, you have a consumer product, like being able to, to try it out yourself and being your, your first user is awesome, but also like giving feedback and, and giving your most critical eye of like, Hey, the wording here is, is, is weird on this screen or Hey, the animation there from this screen to the next, like it flickers or Hey, um, the application is taking forever to launch. Like all that you can, you can take your, your, your end user hat and apply it to your own product and like real look at it. It's like, okay, if I was to describe like the perfect experience, like, and, and I try to use my product today in what ways uh, is it deviating from that perfect experience? And can I really just like w one by one, can I like create those Jira tickets or can I go through like all the user flow and just like notice all the little things that, uh, that are not uh, great? Maybe we won't have time to fix them all. And maybe we, some of them we need to live with. But at least, like you are, ex you are exercising that that critical eye, and you are building that long term vision of like, okay, in the long run, if I was able to fix those issues, or if I was able to refactor my product so that it doesn't have this annoying side effect, then I should be doing it. Uh, and I think, all, again, like I think that's it's interesting to make that part of the conversation of like, no, it's not okay. If you feel that your product is broken, you should like scream, like you should like um, wave the flag and you should, uh, you should escalate it. Like, it's not okay. If, uh, if, uh, if you see something that's broken, I think there's um, probably like the, the folks at, at uh, bunch are, are familiar with the broken window theory. Uh, I think that's, that's very true. That's true including or maybe especially with with software engineering like if you see something that's broken uh, fix it don't uh because it's people will will take this brokenness as the new standard and they will uh, uh then feel that it's acceptable to have uh broke like more broken windows that is such a good metaphor. I actually wasn't familiar with this way of saying, but I totally was writing it down right now. <laughs> I have like uh, so, tons okay, of so, use cases. Yeah. As, uh, so so may, maybe it's worth uh, explaining where this is coming from. Uh, at the, I'm pretty sure there's a Wikipedia Wikipedia page about it, but it's essentially it's um, the findings of a study, which I think originates from uh, uh, the UK where uh, the researcher noticed that if there was a building in the street and that had no broken window, then it could stay that way for a pretty long time. If there was one window that was broken on that building, then and it, it, it wasn't fixed like very quickly, then very quickly after the first broken window, like more windows would get broken because it sent the message that it's okay for this building to have broken windows. And so to some extent, like very quickly, the building would uh, decay and get vandalized extra. And so the, the, the theory was like, no, no, we, we need to fix the broken window immediately so that the, uh, it, it doesn't escalate and doesn't accelerate the, 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 and, and we don't get more broken windows. This makes perfect sense. And I think, as you mentioned, in software development, this is such a big thing, right? Because when you build things fast and quickly, and we definitely can relate. We're actually going through a bit of a refactoring process on our end currently because we built the MVP and then we scaled it way too fast. And obviously there's <laughs> a lot of tech depth. Um, but yeah, it's totally, of course, the case when you have new developers picking things up and they're kind of starting from a place where, you know, everything is a mess and there is no tests and so on. Um, I think it's super, super important to establish clear boundaries on like what you want to achieve. Um, so I think it's a really, really great metaphor. I actually wanted to follow up quickly on something that you've been mentioning throughout the examples. Um, and you mentioned a few times growth is really important and learning is really important, which makes, of course, perfect sense in the startup world, but in, in general as well. And I wanted to dig a bit deeper on what your habits or hacks are. Um, to make sure that you are learning and growing. Because, of course, as um, a C-level executive at a growing scale-up, um, and in, in, in times like these, <laughs> always uh, sounds very dramatic, but it's there's been a lot of change in the world. Um, it must be really difficult to kind of to stay on top of things and, and probably jumping from like thousands of meetings to the next thousands of meetings. How do you make sure you have time to reflect, you have time to actually learn new things and 
yeah, how do you prioritize that? I found something that's working well for me, which is that I've organized my week uh, to try and have as many of the meetings that I like to have, that I want to have, that I need to have early in the week, like typically on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and then like get more time for uh, sitting down and kind of like uh, reading, sitting down and writing uh, on, uh, on, at, at the end of the week. Um, and that's been working very well for me. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so I kind of like carve out, try to carve out as much as possible, uh, time on, um, on, on Thursday afternoon and Friday to, uh, reflect on what, what I've seen happening in the week, uh, kind of like process, maybe a backlog of, uh, emails or things I wanted to do. Uh, but also like, just take like maybe a couple of hour, a couple of hours, and write down some of the things that I've been thinking about, um, and and kind of like put together uh, maybe a document or, or or put together my thoughts. Um, so that's that's been working well for me. And yes, I think it's critical. I I found out that it's critical for me to have that thinking time, and otherwise, I just feel that I'm the the just the guinea pig running in the in the in the rolling wheel and uh, and and not really ever stopping um and over time i feel like you you're kind of also losing like your lucidity you don't see things as well if you're just in this mode of like constantly being uh, overwhelmed by what's happening um so yeah i think that's that's that time is important for me just to be like to reflect, to be self-aware of like, okay, this is not going well. Why is it not going well? What can I do to help maybe put this back on track? Uh, or uh, uh, or just like overall making time for the things that are important but not urgent. Uh, I think it's it's easier said that, than done. Uh, but I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that's, yes, absolutely uh, uh, critical. Friday afternoons are also good for podcasts. <laughs> Yes. No, but it's not. It's not a surprise if we're if we're chatting on a Friday afternoon. Like this is also the time where I'm more available for uh, this kind of conversations, which are important but never urgent. Like uh, if uh, if if your if your agenda is full of urgent things, then you don't really have time to do the important things. Absolutely no, and I I uh, I think uh, being asked a bunch of questions in uh, in sequence is honestly one of the best ways to reflect. To uh, I found funny enough, um, whether on a podcast or just otherwise, it's a great uh, it's a great reflection tool. So with that being said, I do have one more reflection question for you. Um, reflecting out, I I uh, out to others, I guess. What do you think, um, Oliver? What do you think if you know you could go, turn back time? What do you think tech leaders nowadays? need to know more than ever before and or what would you recommend someone just getting into tech and tech leadership what would you what would you recommend them uh, really take into consideration what advice i think maybe as a uh, uh, one thing that i like to do when someone tells me they want to become an engineering manager is 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 dig into their motivation um and then like point them to maybe some books i think there are like i think we're lucky to have like there are a number of people that have been uh, thinking deeply about like the kind of job we're doing and and having uh, written about it uh so whether it's like um uh, I, like the major pass from camille fournier is, uh, is one of my favorites uh so i think like Having that kind of material is is super helpful, and people should should take advantage of that. Um, to some extent, like yes, there is there's plenty of material out there, and so the question is more like, okay, what do you choose? Because it can be a bit overwhelming, and and wh where do you start? Uh, but I would point to maybe some of those um, uh, a handful of books that I think are are very impactful and like sharp and to the point uh, maybe the second one is radical candor which i think is uh, uh, especially for a major and someone that will have to give feedback uh, uh, as often as possible i think is uh, it's uh, it's a great uh, it's a great tool to have in uh, in in your backpack and 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 refer back to it like very as as often as as needed um, so I think those two would uh, would be a good starting point for for people that 
uh, that want to to engage in the in the in the entering leadership career. That's really good recommendations. We actually give Radical Candor as like a welcome book to everyone who starts at Bunch together with a bunch of swag. Um, so I totally agree with you and I hear you. I think especially the candor part of the concept for anyone who is kind of like at the beginning of the journey is often very, very tough. Um, definitely really good recommendation. On that note, actually, to close out um, all the great insights that you've been able to share and also um, your personal experience, which I really, really enjoyed. I would love to hear, and this is a bit of a my favorite question, actually. What did you recently read, listen, or watch that kind of blew your mind or changed your perspective? So it can be anything, it can be a book, but it also can be a podcast or an essay or a blog post, anything that really changed your point of view. I really enjoy Will Larson uh, blog. I always find his uh, blog entries super insightful, uh, very well written and really to the point, like uh, uh, focusing on actual things that either I have been fighting with or, or I'm, I'm, I'm presently fighting with. I think he, he might be like a couple of steps ahead of me in terms of like solving those issues, but I think it's always very insightful and very inspiring for me uh, when I read his uh, blog post. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, but also some of the learnings that you've made recently and in the past. And it's been a real pleasure. Um, I'm really glad we made this happen and I can't wait to share this with the world. Thank you very much. Uh, the pleasure was mine. Thanks, Oliver. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.